Welcome to Lamb of God Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Shake them to wake them. What Jesus does to change our direction, to change our thinking. And we're in Matthew 17. And guys, do we have that? Did that video come on? Okay, let's have a little sermon illustration for you on the screen. And it's from the NFL. Some of you football fans might enjoy this. Okay. But watch the play carefully, okay? Sorry, there's no sound. The one that had the sound had some stuff on it I didn't want to show in church, though. Anything wrong with that play? He's running the wrong way, isn't he? He scores. Yay, we scored. Now watch the 49er player come up to him. And he thanks him for the touchdown he scored for them. Okay, this is uh, October 1964. The player is Jim Marshall. He was a defensive end for the Vikings. Uh, this was a real famous defense at the time. It had Carl Eller and Alan Page and Jim Marshall were all our pros. And you can see what he said was, I saw the ball on the ground because a defensive lineman loves to see the ball on the ground. Nothing better than getting a fumble, right? He picked it up and he looked and he said, I saw a goalpost. So my instinct said, run to the goalpost. So he ended up running in the wrong direction. Okay, he did the right thing in the wrong direction. Okay, and of course, this is 1964. He's never really lived that down, bless his heart. But he was a great player for the Vikings, and he takes it in stride. Um, if you watch his interviews. But we can do the same thing in the Christian life. We've got a... The right, we think we have the right idea and we see the go post and, but we're running in the wrong direction because we have a wrong understanding of who Christ is and what Christ is expecting of us. And the disciples have a wrong understanding of who Christ is and what they're expecting of him. And this is what part of what the transfiguration is about. Okay. So let's look at the text for here for a second. And we're in Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took up with him. Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them to a high mountain by themselves. Now, for those of you who are really knowledgeable of the Old Testament, does that ring a bell? Yeah, we see. We don't know our Old Testaments as well as they do, do they? <laughs> do we? That's almost the exact same wording of Moses going up to Mount Sinai in Acts 24. In fact, he, six days is mentioned. He takes three people, and he goes to a high mountain. So he says, Acts, so that Matthew's wanting you to clue in. Hey, there's something bigger and better than Moses is here. And he's going to reveal something to us. And it's going to be God's glory in this place of God's presence. Okay. So Exodus 24. Um, one thing I would encourage you in uh, is as you read your Bibles, and there's some great study Bibles, great reference Bibles. If you ever want understanding like what's happening here, Look at that reference and see if it show, uh, points you to an Old Testament reference. And more than likely, it's pointing you there. Uh, something's happening there in the New Testament to show you how Jesus is better than what's happening in the Old Testament. And he's fulfilling what's happening in the Old Testament. Okay, So you heard like, uh, something like Book of Revelation with all these symbols and stuff. John's assuming his audience knows their Old Testament. So he's not giving them a reference. He's giving you a clue. And you would go back to the Old Testament to find what that meaning is for that verse or that phrase or that idea. Matthew's getting us uh, right off the bat. 
He's saying something important's happening. It's the equivalent to Moses encountering God on Mount Sinai, and he's taking up his crew to give him them that revelation. Verse 2, he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. I always wondered, what does that have to do with me? And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I wanted to find what transfigure means, okay? Those of you who had science class, right? Metamorphosis? It's the same Greek word. Okay, transfigure that we do in English is metamorphosis in Greek. And it's that same word you learned in science class, okay? It's transformation that proceeds from the inside and changes the whole person inside and out, okay? So it's something that begins inside of someone, and then as it moves through them, it radiates out. In other words, they're, what, you, what they're like on the inside begins to show us on the outside in their physical appearance. Okay, So that's what transfiguration means. What was on the inside of Jesus is now radiating out to show us what that's like on the outside. Let me read it. The transfiguration is a transformation that proceeds from the inside and changes the whole person inside and out. Jesus' physical appearance matches the beauty of his inner being, the glory of the only begotten Son of God. So they, I mean, it was easy for the disciples to believe that Jesus is human. He's right, walking right with them. Okay. So the issue is how do they come to a point of really understanding his divinity? That he's fully God as well. So we tend to do the opposite. It's easy for us to believe that Jesus is divine because he's come to us by the power of the Holy Spirit and we've encountered him as God. Sometimes it's harder for us to relate to the idea that God would be hungry. God would sleep. It's hard for us to grasp that he would be fully human. We have the opposite problem sometimes. But the apostles are having struggles with the idea that he is fully God because they can't see him right in front of him. Okay? eating figs, okay, talking, taking naps, going off in prayer, okay, interrelating to people. So when he's transfigured, they're now seeing on the outside who he truly is on the inside, so they're receiving or seeing his divinity. Why was this necessary? You can take your wide. Let's go to just look ahead in chapter 16 and verse 13 when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, he gets it, that Jesus is the one who's fulfilling all the Old Testament promises of who would come and deliver us. But do you remember the exchange that they had? Uh, this would be verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus because Jesus had what? said he's going to suffer and die. <clears throat> and he began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen to you. Okay, So he's referring back. To verse 21, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be killed, and on the third day be raised. Verse 21. Peter doesn't like that. He pulls him aside and says, no, let me correct you. You got your theology wrong, Jesus. Messiahs don't die. Messiahs don't suffer. Messiahs don't need to be resurrected because they never were defeated. Okay? In death. All right? So Jesus pulls him aside and says, hey, listen, Jesus, I appreciate what you're saying about the suffering thing. But listen, you need to remember who you are. And nothing like this would ever happen to you. You're the one who's fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies. You're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. 
But he turned, Jesus turned to Peter, and you know the phrase, the famous, get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on things of man. And this is where we often are like Jim Marshall. We're running in the wrong direction. We think to follow Jesus means everything's going to be easy. That there's going to be no trials and no suffering. No setbacks. He's just going to plow the way in front of us and everything's going to go right. I don't know how many times I've said it. I've heard other people say it in the charismatic movement. I, I thought God told me to do this. It went really bad, so it must not have been God. Okay? So we're judging whether something was God or not by whether it went well or not. No, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness in Mark 2 and Matthew 4. Oftentimes, the Lord will speak to you to step into a circumstance, and it will go haywire because it has something bigger and better he wants to reveal to you, a more perfect Jesus he wants to show you. Just because things aren't going smoothly doesn't mean it's not the Lord. Okay, and so we have to be careful. Church and church growth circles and conferences I go to for church growth, oftentimes this is implied, and I don't think they mean to. But if you're doing it right and you got the and you're obeying the Lord, then everything's going to take off. And you have hundreds of people, and you have a big church building, and there won't be any problems, and everything will just set itself. You're doing everything just right, but that's not the case because the kingdom expands. We often face suffering and setbacks. The, the Satan often counterattacks. And he not only counterattacks individuals, he counterattacks the body of Christ. So things may be, the church may be doing the very will of God, but it may be suffering. But it doesn't mean it's not Jesus. He's not involved. Okay? So he wanted to correct, Jesus is wanting to correct their mentality. So one of the reasons for the transfiguration, there's several reasons, but one is he wants to change their way of thinking. He wants them to understand that the fact that he is going to suffer and die and rise again, those words didn't just come from a human being. They came from the mouth of God. If he's transfigured before him and his divinity is radiating, then you better listen, Peter. You're not the one to be rebuking him. He's the one to be correcting you. Okay, so the transfiguration is to get their thinking right, that he is fully divine, he's to be listened to, and what he's teaching about the nature of the Christian life is important, and it is true. Okay, he's transfigured, his face shows like the sun, his clothes become white as light. Mark tells us they're, they're so white they're, that nothing that could bleach could do. You couldn't bleach them and get them that white, Mark tells us in his account. He's just radiating the glory of God. He's, and this is to remind us of, of when the law was given to Moses on the Mount Sinai, God passed through Mo, by Moses, and his radiating glory was there. The connection is made. He's the greater Moses. Okay. Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. So here are the two greatest heroes of the Hebrew Jewish faith standing next to him. You know, it'd be two great heroes, you know. Uh, you would have two, the two people who most symbolize what they believe and who they are are standing next to him. It tells, and the, um, they were talking with him in verse 3. Luke tells us they were talking specifically about something. And the word in the Greek is exodus, or translated, most of your translation, departure. Okay. So Elijah and Moses were discussing with Jesus the nature, 
See, yeah. See, I have authority behind my words. Okay. <laughs> okay. Jesus and Elijah and Moses were discussing how Jesus was going to leave this earth. Okay. And it's, the word is Exodus. So they want, again, Matthew, uh, Luke wants you to make the connection. Okay. Between the Exodus and the people being delivered from Pharaoh's army and the parting of the Red Sea, he wants to know that because of Jesus' exodus, because of his departure, we will be set free for the bondages of our sin. And we will pass through the waters and be cleansed. And we will be set free into um, the promised land of walking and abiding in Christ. Okay, So their discussion is about the very thing that Peter was telling Jesus, correcting Jesus about. Okay, Peter was correcting Jesus said, no, this won't happen. The suffering won't happen. Yet Elijah and Moses are discussing with Jesus. Yes, that's going to happen. And that's a good thing because he's going to bring us freedom. So what is Peter's response? I love Peter. He always says what you're thinking, you know, and uh, where he's, we're all introvert and quiet. Don't want to say it out loud because we think people think bad of us. Peter doesn't worry about that. He just says it, you know. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Again, what's your Old Testament reference? He's referring back to the Feast of Booths. It's a celebration uh, of a week-long celebration uh, celebrating the Exodus after the Passover and the fact that they had to live in tents in the wilderness. And so what Peter is doing is saying, look, we see something wonderful happen. Let's, let's do a celebration for each of you. Okay, what's wrong with that picture? Okay, it's putting Elijah, Moses, and Jesus all on the same level. Probably well-intended. We would have had a heart of worship, wanted to do something to express his devotion. There's just one problem with that. you got all of them, in Peter's mind, on equal footing. Okay, and so what does, what does happen? God corrects him. Not just God the Father corrects him. He says, verse 5, he was still speaking and when... In other words, Peter, you've said enough now. Let me break in. Okay? Don't you love that when someone's saying something that's really, really wrong? And you wait, wait, wait. Let me correct you. That's not what happened. Okay? The Lord just breaks into Peter's silliness and says, wait. He was still speaking, so the Lord does interrupt people. So, okay? So we can't get offended. We get interrupted sometimes. We will still be speaking when a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud, said, This my beloved son, whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Okay? I think I've said this before, but again, it's hard to image to break out of our minds. When we think of clouds, we think something soft and pretty floating by, usually in the Charmin commercials, okay? Everything looks so soft and pretty. In the Bible, the cloud is terrifying. It's the presence of the Lord, it's thunderous, it's holy. It's actually shielding the actual visible, uh, the possibility of us looking at him visibly and directly or it would kill us. So the cloud comes and in a sense is guarding or, or shielding the Lord's direct presence, which would kill us. But that glory is evident in this cloud and it's intimidating. Okay. These clouds are terrifying. Now we got some thunderstorms today. I, mean, you've, I know you've all experienced worse than this. 
and you know how can shake my little dog will just start shaking you know and we and i've had them so bad i'll start shaking you wonder what's going to happen to the house you know and that's the kind of thing that's going on a bright cloud this terrible awesome incredible holiness of god overshadows them and then a voice speaks this is my beloved son which is a quote direct quote from isaiah 42 the suffering servant passage is the Lord is going to raise up someone to do what? To stand in Israel's place and take upon himself their suffering so that they might be free from their sin. So one more time, we're being reminded of the importance of the cross. His death, burial, and resurrection is the means by which we are saved. Okay? There are some of us who run in the wrong direction, like Jim Marshall we think it's being good enough, doing it right. If we act good enough and do everything right, that will be earn God's approval. If God, then God will approve me and I'll be accepted. That's, and we're doing all the right Christian things. We're doing the sacraments. We're sharing with people, handing out food. But our intent is, let me do these things so then God will be happy with me and then I'll gain his approval. So it's running in the wrong direction. What gains God's approval? Believe in Christ. Because only his work, only his acts are sufficient. He's the one. Only his righteousness is acceptable. Nothing, I, I can never be good enough. And so I look to him. So the direction we need to run is him, looking to faith in him, trusting him, believing his righteousness uh, gains, is, uh, makes me acceptable before God, and I gain his approval by looking to faith in Christ. It will change the way you wake up in the morning. If I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking, what do I need to do to make God happy with me? And oftentimes we don't even say it that way or think it that way, but that's what we're doing. Or do I wake up in the morning, no matter what happens today, God loves me, I'm accepted in Christ, I'm approved in Him, I'm forgiven in Him, and I'm in Christ. His death was my death, His burial, my burial, His resurrection, my resurrection. And there's no way today, anything that can happen, that will take that away. I'm accepted and approved because of what Christ has done for me. You're placed in Christ. Okay? So, we want to make sure we get it right. And so, to make sure the disciples get it right, God speaks. And we know God speaks, and he tells them that he's his beloved son. He tells them he has his approval, and he tells them what? I love this phrase. Listen to him. Okay. And what does that tell us? What's our ultimate focus? What's the, so supposed to be the sole direction, eternal focus of our lives? Listening and obeying Christ. All, else, all this stuff going on and all the social media and all the distractions, all the offenses and everything going on, what's the one thing? One thing needful. What was the one thing needful? Okay. Martha was busy and about many things, but Mary had done the one thing needful, sitting at his face. I mean, sitting at his feet, looking at his face, listening to his voice. The one thing needful was a relationship with Jesus. Okay, so Mary and Martha, he emphasizes it there again. It's about Christ. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. That's why we know this is not a Charmin cloud. Okay? 
This is a crowd of, a cloud of God's holiness and terror. Okay? When you encounter that kind of holiness, you know you're unholy. And you know if you meet that head on, you're going to die. That's what the Old Testament teaches. When, you, when an Old Testament character says, I saw God's face. But if you go back and look at the, 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 the um, situation they're in, they're usually seeing a cloud or they're seeing his feet at the bottom of a, of a um, throne or they're, they're seeing just a, a part of something, a vision of his throne room. They're not actually seeing him because if they saw him directly, it would kill them. Even Isaiah has that vision in Isaiah 6. Smoke is filling the room. Okay, The Holy of Holies. And what is his cry? Oh, woe is me. I am a man completely undone. You become over... When you encounter the Lord, you become overly aware in a good way just how unholy you are and how much you need Jesus. And that's why they're terrified in verse 6. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. Because of what Christ has done for us, we don't have to fear an encounter with the living God. Because he has made the way, we're allowed to enter into the throne of grace because of his shed blood, he has made for the way for us, and we're accepted in him. So he touches them and takes away their fear. Why? Because he's our, he's the one who makes the way for us in the Holy of Holies to where we're not killed because of the holiness of God, but we can stand there because of what Christ has done for us. We can cry, Abba, Father. We can say, Our Father who art in heaven. We have this kind of divine access to him because of Christ. He touches them and they have, love, love that beautiful phrase, rise and have no fear. Rise and have no fear. If you're, uh, Sinclair Ferguson said that there are two things a pastor does. There's only two things, okay, a pastor does. One, he can, he shows the loss that they're really lost and they're really in sin. And two, he shows the saved that they're really saved and they're in Christ and there's nothing that the Lord, nothing that can happen to take that away. So you're happy, you're trying to get sinners to understand they're sinners and they're in need of a Savior. That's your one job. Your second job is to helping convince Christians they really are Christians and they're really saved and they're in Christ and they're accepted and loved in Him. And no one's going to take that away. Okay. So He's touching them. He says, don't be terrified, have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Verse 8. Jesus only. Let me say it again. Jesus only. There's no Moses and Elijah. There's no booths. They're not on equal footing. There's only one glorified Son of God who's radiating the divinity of God through his human body. There's only one. He alone is our devotion. He alone is our allegiance. He's alone, the one we follow. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one this vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. You will not understand what has just happened until you understand the cross and the resurrection. So don't talk about it until you've seen that. 
that's going to put all this in perspective. You can't get Jesus until you get that. You don't see the importance of him dying, taking it upon himself, God's judgment for your sin, and then dying in your place and your sin being put away and him being defeating that sin and being risen again. You understand that, you don't understand this, that this glory that, the Lord, that Jesus is betraying is the glory of suffering and dying, the glory of taking your place, the glory of leading, doing what's necessary so you can have a right relationship with Jesus and a right relationship with your Heavenly Father. So, so wait until you talk about it, until you've seen it, you experienced it. Okay, he's telling them. And the disciples said, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? So there's a strong, so we, we have a lot of second coming teaching today. There are a lot of books about the second coming and what's going to happen in the second coming. Well, they were having a lot of books, a lot of teaching about the first coming. Okay. And they had decided, based on Malachi, that Elijah had to come first to put things to right, to set the table. And so we want to know, you know, they see this glory. We want to know how this is all going to pan out. And he said, he answered, Elijah does come. He will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. Who was he referring to? John the Baptist is already fulfilling what was necessary for Malachi to be fulfilled and to prepare the way for Christ's coming. But this is the key thing. This is the thing that he wants them to know. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. The Christian life isn't easy. Well, following Christ doesn't mean it's going to be a smooth path where everything falls into place, where I have absolute ease and comfort. It means if you follow the way of the Savior, you're going to, you're going to experience suffering. But his suffering was for our redemption. And he said, I will suffer at their hands. Now we read something to you. I want you to see this. This is the scene, what Jesus is trying to do for the disciples. Here's the transfiguration in God and how his glory being revealed in this holy mountain that Jesus is the better Moses. Over here is this scene. This same person is glorified by God who has said, I am well pleased with him. Listen to him. Is dying on a cross and suffering in our place. Okay, let me read this. The scene of the transfiguration offers a strange parallel and contrast to the crucifixion. If you're going to meditate on one, you might as well meditate on the other. If you're going to meditate on the glory, you might as well meditate on the other glory. Here on the mountain, Jesus is revealed in glory. Okay, on the transfiguration. Here on the hill beside Jerusalem, Jesus is revealed in shame. Here his clothes are shining white, and they've been stripped off. But over here they've been stripped off, and soldiers have gambled for them. Here he is flanked by Moses and Elijah, two of Israel's greatest heroes, representing the law and the prophets. But over here he's flanked, uh, flanked by two brigands, two thieves, two robbers. They're a symbol of how low Israel has sunk in rebellion toward God. 
Here a bright cloud overshadows the scene. Over here darkness covers the land. Here Peter blurts out how wonderful it all is. Over here, Peter and the other apostles are hiding in shame and denying they even know him. Here, a voice from God declares he's his most wonderful son. Over here, a pagan soldier declares in surprise he's truly the son of God. One explains the other. God in his glory came in Jesus Christ, who's fully divine and fully human, but he came for a reason, in order that we might be saved and set free. We will find in him the dying Savior who will rise again, and he has come that we might have a living and vibrant relationship with God. And the issue is this, do I believe it? Do I believe it? Do you believe it? that Christ has done this for you? Do you trust him? He has died in your place. Do you trust him that all your sins are forgiven and that all your shame and guilt from the past is gone? Do you believe today that you're accepted and approved in God and that he loves you? Do you? That's the only thing out of all these events that's required of you. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the transfiguration. It reminds us the beauty of your son and help us today remember the power of his death, burial, and resurrection for us and help us truly to believe that our sins are forgiven because of what he has done. We pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope to see you next time.